a kind of people. We may all be of the same people group, but unfortunately, we are not all of the same kind. What's sad is we are all called to be of the same kind, but not all followers choose to live wholeheartedly abandoned towards the Father and His will. A little bit like the Israelites, they were all chosen to be His, but not all of them were and are of the same kind. God will choose a remnant out of this people group who will be and accomplish everything he has predestined them for because they are of a certain kind. They live as his possession and not their own. As mentioned, every follower is to be of the same kind. We are all to be of his spirit, having the spirit dwell within us and living our entire lives being empowered by the spirit, led by the spirit and having the fruit of the spirit produced in and through us doing the works of the Spirit. This is the kind of people we are to be, and yet many are of another kind, the flesh. Even though they have the Spirit within them, he lies dormant and still quenched by the flesh. The flesh will never die while we continue to nurture it. When we live by the flesh, we are not only going to quench the Spirit in our lives, but we also grieve the Spirit. This is not to be how the church lives at all. The kind of people we are to be is Christ-like. Jesus Christ is a first fruit, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, a prototype of who we are to become. We are to be conformed into the image of the Son. This conforming is all accomplished by and through the Spirit. This conforming work starts on the inside of our hearts and minds and makes its way out of us, where our mortal bodies literally become the manifestation of the church into the earth. This conforming work of the Spirit into the image of Jesus is God's calling for his church. Many think God's calling is something functional first, but it is an act of fellowship, spiritual oneness, being made into someone, and that someone is the Son. Romans 8.29 For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is an incredible truth and reality, that God has predestined us before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to the image of his Son a kind of son, a brother. The word is to become. We must become conformed through the sanctification work of the Spirit. It is this that makes us into the kind of people which are of the Spirit that Christ was of. Many just think it is about praying a prayer of repentance of sin and iniquity and fail to enter into this true process of spiritual maturity and to becoming conformed into his image. Many keep their own image of themselves or attempt to become someone else, and so never become like him, Christ-like literally. This leaves us unable to live as he did and keeps us in an immature state. We end up making a God in our own image or form. And this is extremely dangerous to us and our life in Christ because we create our form or our version of him. We are warned by God not to do this in Deuteronomy 4. We see God teaching the Israelites the importance of hearing his voice, his eternal word, 
because they cannot see his form. They can only hear his voice. Deuteronomy 4.12 Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. Verse 15 and 16 So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, etc. In other words, do not make me into an image of what you can see, a figure of what you know because you see it, because you can't see me, because you can't hear me. The true image of God comes through the true hearing of God's voice, his word, his eternal word. If we cannot hear the eternal word and voice of God, we will create our own version of him through what we are looking at, a figure or a form in our own imagination. This is why people believe we go to church and have this institutional mindset. They can't hear his word or his voice, and they see a whole lot of people going to a building, keeping ceremony and tradition, and call it church. This is crucial when it comes to being conformed into his image. If we cannot hear his eternal word, his eternal voice, then our version of being a disciple of his will be completely different to his version of being his disciple. Instead of being made into the image of Christ and conformed into the image of Christ, we are conformed into the image of everything else. Because we can't hear him, we will be led by all the other figures we see which are presented as being disciples and the way disciples are made. There are all these models of discipleship which the church has come up with for over the years, and yet most of the ones that I have seen are all about copying another person. And we use the catchphrase, caught, not taught. It's not caught or taught, it's revealed by the Spirit. Jesus walked and lived with his men for three years, and they didn't really catch too much of him. But when the Spirit was poured out into them, the discipleship life of becoming conformed to the image of the Son began, and they were able to truly imitate Him now. They became a kind of Christ. They were Christ-like. Why? Because they were becoming like His kind through the Spirit. The Spirit is the key to us all becoming of His kind, this people of a certain kind. When we are not of this kind, the spirit, then we are operating from another kind, the flesh. There are only two kinds, spirit or flesh. They produce after their own kind. The spirit produces life in relation to its own kind, and the flesh produces in relation to its own kind. Galatians 6 verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Galatians 5.19 Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, which means active opposition, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Verse 22 to 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh gets crucified by the Spirit and not by us trying to crucify our own flesh. Romans 8.13 For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When we live and operate from the flesh, we operate from a form of godliness, but not godliness. The reason we do this is because we only have our form of God, the very thing God warned us of in Deuteronomy 4.12, and not his form of who he in fact is. This is disastrous for us as his people. Hence Paul writing this down for Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. There is power associated with godliness to be this kind of people. Yes, because God is powerful and Jesus is the power of God, so God's form of godliness comes with God's power. Our form of godliness, which we hold to, has no power, and it denies the power of true godliness, so it can continue to live and not be crucified by the form of true godliness. We do this at our own peril, because godliness is profitable in this life and in the life to come. A form of godliness is not profitable for anything apart from leading us astray from this life in Christ, which is now and the future life now. The reason we only have a form of godliness is because we don't have a true form of God. They are synonymous of one another. Because we can't hear his word, we can't see him. Because faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith is the conviction of what is in the unseen. So we see God in the spirit. Hence, we have an accurate image, an accurate figure of who he is. This leads us into godliness. When we can't see God because we can't and don't hear his word, we create or make a God in our own graven image, which leads us into having a form of godliness. We then worship from this false and counterfeit version or image of God, which keeps us in bondage to ourselves. We have ultimately created our version, image, form, figure of our own God in our own image, called a form of godliness, and we worship it unknowingly. John 4.22 A form of godliness is always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 3.7 Why is this the case? Because the operating system that attempts to come into the truth is fleshly, human wisdom. So it learns, but it learns through its own kind. And the kind of operating system it learns through is anti, opposite, foreign to the true knowledge, the truth, which builds godliness within us. Let's have a look at what true godliness is, as it is profitable for this life and the life to come. A life that is built into the accurate kind of people, a disciple, the image of Christ. This is who we are called to be and become now. Let's start with 1 Timothy 3.16. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of becoming Christ-like, a kind of Christ. I love these words, by common confession. It is the confession of many that godliness is a great mystery. 
It is not something that everyone just enters into casually or everyone even knows about it or lives it out. It is a mystery, just like Jesus Christ is a mystery and must be revealed in and to us. Godliness is something we cannot bring ourselves into because it is concealed in the unseen one. This is why there is a form of godliness. We try to bring ourselves into a godly life through our own strength, and we fail miserably. Living out of form of, but not godliness, keeps us out of being the kind of people Jesus is looking for. God's power brings us into the mystery of godliness and enables us to be able to start living a life of godliness now, just like Jesus himself did. It's God's power in his spirit that opens up the unseen one and the kingdom of God to us. And we then are able to access what is concealed in this person and this kingdom by faith. When we deny this power of God because I or our will is still living, we don't want it to die. Our flesh doesn't want to die. Self doesn't want to die. All we are left with is a form of godliness. Religious traditions, ceremonies, and works, which can look like the real thing, but it can't walk in the manner in which the Christ walked, love. This is why it is a great mystery. It can look and sound like the real godliness, but it is only a form of. We are to be of a kind of people who know the mysteries of the kingdom because we have been granted to know them. The mysteries are not to remain mysteries to us. They are to be revealed realities, so we live from this knowledge that makes us free and enables us to live as Christ lived. Christ-like followers are to reflect Christ's life in nature, character, and power. Two-thirds of this is an inner realm, and one-third is an external expression. Let's look at another powerful passage which speaks of the benefits of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7-11 but have nothing to do with worldly fables for only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Verse 7 is saying that we are not to get caught up in the gossip and chatter of the world and all its ways. The analogy Paul gives is of old women talking about nothing and filling up their time being busybodies. People consume with everything but what they are to be consumed with. Paul says, instead of being bound up in this, we are to be disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Many people struggle in this area of discipline. Many let their emotions, their thinking, selfish desires and motives rob them of being able to discipline themselves. So they come into the incredible life which godliness brings into us. Some, as verse 8 refers to, might find themselves disciplining their life for what's on the natural, things of the earth. But this is still only of little gain. The profit in this is little and holds no eternal value. But when we discipline ourselves for godliness, then this is beneficial in all things. 
Why is godliness profitable in all things? Within or contained within the promise of godliness, the mystery of godliness is the key to an incredible life now while we live on earth and also in the life to come. Yes, that's right, in the life to come as well. God clearly instructs us that we must be disciplined in our lives as followers, not towards our physical lives per se, but towards our eternal spiritual lives, which he has predestined us to come into now and in the future. Too many followers only have eyes for the now and are consumed in their now and what is taking place in their now. Their now becomes all-consuming and their time is taken up with all the natural things on earth. Disciplining ourselves for godliness is seen as something we will get to once life slows down and we have time. But for many, this never actually becomes their reality. As one thing comes to an end, they just pick up something else. And so in turn, never coming to know a life of godliness now or in the future. We sabotage this life for another life, which is temporal, physical, natural. I love how verse 9 declares how amazing verse 8 is. Verse 9 reinforces the promise that godliness is profitable for this life and the life to come. Paul says in verse 10 that it is for godliness that we labor and strive. The reason for this is because of where they have fixed their hope. They had fixed their hope on a living God who is the Savior of all men. Not only was Paul living this life of godliness, but he labored and strived in the power of God that the church would come into this divine life for themselves. It was Paul's purpose to see the church presented complete in Christ, and he gave his life for this life of godliness to be formed in every disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul knew the mystery of godliness for this life and the life to come, hence he is the one who wrote of it. It is imperative we don't only have a form of it, but have the real thing if we want to be people of his kind. We need a life of godliness, a godly life lived out and demonstrated on the earth. The difference between a form of godliness and true godliness is what is being formed on the inside. A form of godliness can prophesy, cast out demons, heal the sick, proclaim the good news, read the Bible, attend discipleship groups, give money, etc., etc., but still on the inner being life, full of self and lovers of self, lovers of money, arrogant, boastful, etc. 2 Timothy 3, 1-4. The inner realm is still full of self-indulgence. The inner realm is still fleshly and full of a spirit of pride, as opposed to being poor in spirit, and having the kingdom be attitudes being formed and established in our hearts and minds. One must have discernment to discern the true spiritual condition of the inner and not be led astray through only looking at the natural with natural eyes. The one who is only in the form of godliness will eventually be exposed for this when pressure is applied to them and what is lying within them manifests itself and makes itself known. God loves the person, but he doesn't love the flesh which comes forth from the person. He desires to crucify the flesh through the cross. The words of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, which are spirit and life, conform us through their power to a life of godliness. This is the purpose of true, the true gospel, the true knowledge, 
So if any advocates a different gospel and doesn't agree with the true gospel, then they are conceited and understand nothing. They have a form of godliness and they believe their form of godliness will lead them to a means of gain because they are convinced that godliness will lead to gain and it does when it is accompanied by contentment. True godliness will lead to life, but the form of godliness doesn't. When we come to the end of our form of godliness and are prepared to lose it and stop trying to bring ourselves into life and arrive at true contentment, then we have the opportunity for true godliness to be formed in us because we are content to let the work be accomplished through God's power and not our own homemade efforts and strengths. We no longer deny the power but receive it, which enables us to live godly. I want to look at 1 Timothy 6, 18-19, as this also relates to the church living a life of godliness or a godly life. Verse 18, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Godliness will be accompanied by spirit-led works, works which are life-giving and works which demonstrate God on the earth. All of the works which we do are to bring glory to the Father. All these works are going towards a good foundation for the future. In other words, everything we are living for now and accomplishing in God is going towards a future reality and dimension to which we have been called and chosen, which indeed is life itself. We have been called and chosen for this age and for the age to come. And it is for the age to come to which life is really about, as opposed to 80 years on this physical earth. But it is how we live our life now in the 80 years, which we have been gifted with, which will determine and define what our life in the age to come will be. The second part of verse 19 depicts this. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Take hold of that which is life indeed, and the context is the future. Take hold of the life which is laid up for you in the future. Reminds me of the words of Paul in Philippians 3.12, who said, He pressed on to lay hold of all that Christ had laid hold of him for. In Jesus Christ is where we discover the life for this age and the age to come. We must lay hold of it all so we have a life of wisdom, godliness produced within us. Psalm 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It's the wise virgins that go into the inner chamber. It's those who have the garments of righteous acts on. It's those who do the will of God who receive the full inheritance of God. It's those who are faithful and obedient to his calling and purpose who will be part of all the Father has purposed in this age and the age to come. These are the kind of people we are to be. The primary life we have been called and chosen for is a future life. Our home is with the Father in the new heaven and new earth, not here on the sin-infested planet where darkness and evil reside. Earth is the place we demonstrate and declare the Father's kingdom and reality in the hope that many will get rescued out of this darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13 Earth is not our home, but the place we serve our Father and see His will established. We long to be at home with our Father, 
while we are here on earth because we are a kind of his people. As 1 Timothy 4, 7-11 declares, Godliness is profitable for this life and this life to come in the future age. The challenge in all this is that godliness and a form of godliness can look exactly the same. That is the problem. The fact that the true and the form of must be discerned by the Spirit. Otherwise, one can be completely deceived by their own true state. And these people also deceive others. This, for most part, is unintentional. And people are unaware they are in a form of godliness and are leading others into a form. The words of Jesus are extremely insightful when it comes to this. John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. We must be a kind of people who make righteous judgments because we can hear the Spirit and discern through hearing and not seeing. This is why Jesus constantly would say, hear what the Spirit is saying, and he would say, my sheep hear my voice. Let's look at the connection between godliness and knowledge of truth. Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. Paul is chosen as a bondservant and an apostle for two purposes. One, for the faith of those God has chosen. Two, to share or preach the knowing of God, God's truth, which forms and builds godliness in the church. Paul lived a life of godliness and spoke of a life of godliness for the body of Christ to hear and receive and live out. The knowledge of God is what enables and empowers us all to live godly lives. Godly lives or godliness is living as God does. This is what it means to be his kind of people. This is the true knowledge of God and not our version or form of God. This knowledge is revealed in us by the Holy Spirit and written or engraved on our hearts. Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age. Once again, we see the call to live a godly life in this present age and this godly life lived out will bring with it persecution by all those who have no living reality for the true state of godliness. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Peter 1.3 is also another amazing declaration of how we are called to live and the ongoing connections with all the aspects of God's word. It says this, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The key to this passage of scripture is God's divine power. It's God's divine power that grants us everything in relation to life and godliness. Without experiencing his divine power, how can we have a life lived out of godliness and be a kind of his people? We won't be able to, unfortunately. So all we have is a form of godliness, and this will keep us firmly rooted in self. This is why it says at the beginning of 2 Timothy 3, 1-2, that in the last days, difficult times will come because men will be lovers of self. We don't need to go any further than this. 
A lover of self will define everything through its own lens. Self defines what godliness is and what it looks like and how it lives. It's everywhere and it looks so much like the real, but it's not. Faith is able to discern the difference between the true godliness and the form of godliness because true faith of the spirit is built and formed. It rests on God's power while the form of godliness rests on man's wisdom. Godliness, which rests on God's power, sees the counterfeit, the form of, because it's built on the real, Jesus, and not man. 1 Corinthians 2.5 So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. To the natural eye, one cannot discern the difference, and to the natural ear, one cannot discern the difference. But to the spiritual ear and spiritual eye, one can discern the difference between godliness and a form of godliness. Hebrews 5 verse 14, But solid food is full of mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It is the mature who discern the difference between the form of and the real. This kind of people live a kind of godliness because of a kind of faith, because of God's power as opposed to man's wisdom. There are a number of kinds of in the scriptures which all relate to producing this kind of person and people group. Firstly, there's a kind of death, John 12, 33. There is a kind of resurrection, 1 Corinthians 6, 14, Philippians 3, 10, Romans 6, 4 to 5. Thirdly, there is a kind of first fruits, James 1, 18. Fourthly, there's a kind of faith, 2 Peter 1, verse 1, and 2 Corinthians 4, 13. And there is a kind of seed, Deuteronomy 22, 9. Let's have a look at this kind of faith, which is able to see the unseen and live in accordance to godliness, not a form of it. 2 Peter 1, 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can break this verse up into two parts. Firstly, we must receive this faith, which is of a specific kind. And secondly, we receive it by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This faith is of heaven, as it is discovered in the one and only one from heaven. We don't get to create this faith or to define it or shape it, but we get to receive it from the one who gives it and to live from it while we live on earth. This faith enables a significant life now and also goes towards our life and the roles we play in the future kingdom of God. To not live by this faith is to not discover the life now and the future we have been predestined for. Paul is a massive advocate for this kind of faith and says the life he now lives on earth, he lives by faith in Christ Jesus. It says the righteous shall live by this faith. So if we're not living by faith, what are we living by? This faith is very specific, and 2 Corinthians 4.13 gives us a massive insight into this kind of faith, along with Hebrews 11.1-3. 2 Corinthians 4.13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. This kind of faith is of the spirit, the spiritual dimension, the spiritual kingdom of God. It has its anchor, its foundation in what is already established in God, the unseen one. 
God himself defines what faith is and he writes it down for us so we won't get confused, but better still, so we don't come up with our own version of faith, which so many have and are doing. Hebrews 11.1 clearly explains what faith is. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith has an absolute knowledge of the life that is concealed in Christ for his people, and it lives from this knowledge. This is what it is and means to live by faith in Jesus Christ. When it says the righteous shall live by faith. This is what the author of Hebrews is referring to when he writes, According to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. The author believed in accordance to having the same spirit of faith in alignment to God's version of faith. To believe is to be convinced and convicted in the heart of truth. He then says it is from this place in which there the person then speaks. The speaking comes from a true convictional heart, believing, giving testimony to the transformational work of life being accomplished within the writer. This is to be all of our realities. The oneness here is incredible, and it is all about oneness of spirit. Unless we are truly of the spirit and growing in the spirit with God, how can we be one with one another? We will profess a reality which ultimately is false. We may have the spirit in us, but this is very different to being perfected in oneness or unity of spirit. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of the spiritual faith. So once again, he is the one who defines what faith is as the author, and he is also the one who will perfect this faith within us as we grow and mature into the full stature of Christ. It's about fixing our eyes on him and never taking our eyes off him. He will perfect his version of faith within us as we live like this. The scriptures teach us to test ourselves to see if we are in fact in this kind of faith, which produces a kind of people. The scriptures say this faith is more precious than gold, and that when Christ returns, will he find this faith on the earth? For us to become this kind of people, we need to live by this kind of faith, because as I have said, the righteous live by faith, living of life of godliness now.